This is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full Time Travel. And every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest today, Nicole Vargas, is the editor and co-founder of Unearth Women, a travel publication beloved for its feminist city guides and lady-centric features. You may have read about Nikki and Unearth in the New York Times, Good Morning America, The Washington Post, and Vogue Spain. Prior to founding Unearth Women in 2018, Nikki was an editor at Atlas Obscura and Culture Trip. Nikki's bylines have appeared in Roads and Kingdoms, Vice, and The Huffington Post, and she has spoken at the Women in Travel Summit, W Hotel's What She Said series, the New York Times Travel Show, and Women's Travel Fest. She also happens to be one of my very dear friends. Nikki and I sat down to discuss how a solo trip to Argentina flipped her early 20s life upside down, emboldening her to quit her job in advertising, pursue writing full-time, and call off her wedding weeks before she was due to walk down the aisle. Nikki Vargas, welcome to The Trip That Changed Me. Thanks for having me. What a delight to have one of my favorite humans on the show. (laughs) I know, obviously, you have a million amazing travel stories, but the one we're focusing on today is your first ever solo trip, the first of many, and very much a catalyst for a lot of brave life changes for you. So let's start with a little background. Like many people residing in this great city, you're not a native New Yorker. Can you give the people a little synopsis of your upbringing and how you ended up here in New York City? Sure. So I was born in Bogota, Colombia. I moved to the United States when I was fairly young, so about two years old, so really young, actually. My family immigrated to Miami. Uh, From there, I moved to Cleveland, and then eventually I landed in Chicago, which is why I've been stripped of any sexy Colombian (laughs) accent. And yeah, I went to, um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I went to school at Indiana University where I studied journalism. And then from there, I'm just going to tell you my whole life story now. (laughs) Um, From there, after I left college, I moved to France and lived in France for a little bit traveled around Europe. And then I ended up in New York. And that was really always the goal for me was to end up in New York City. And was that because you had your sights set on journalism? I actually, when I left school, I knew I wanted to do something with writing. I hadn't really formulated the plan yet of what I wanted to do with my career, um, much to the distress of my parents at the time. And I just knew I wanted to be in New York. And my mind, New York was um, very representative of sort of everything that was that my college town did not have, which is to say it's, you know, Bloomington, Indiana is very charming, very beautiful, but really lacks diversity, lacks a lot of, you know, different cultures. And so New York for me just seemed like the perfect place to figure out what I was going to do next. And I just chose the city before I really chose the career. 
And what were you doing for work when you first got here? So when I first got here, and this is a true story, I got here and I had $120 in my pocket. And that is such like an old person thing to say. (laughs) Um, And I had no shoes and I walked for a mile in the right. No, (laughs) I had literally no money. And uh, my friend at the time was an intern here and she very graciously let me crash on her floor. (laughs) And I stayed with her and I started serving tables. I worked in Midtown at the Ainsworth, uh, which I believe is still there. Yeah. And I really just scrounged up enough money and served tables while I was applying for jobs and just worked to get on my feet. I feel like you had one of those very quintessential New York dream stories while you were waitressing. You know, the New York, you'll have this idea of New York as being a place where the streets are kind of paved with possibility and every establishment is just packed with very intelligent, very creative people. And so while you were waitressing, you managed to get kind of an opportunity to get a foot in the door in advertising. Can you share that story? Yeah. So I was serving tables and I served this table and it was these two girls that were about my age and I was serving them champagne and they were both celebrating. And I, you know, throughout the course of their meal, I sort of, you know, heard snips and bits of their conversation each time I sort of brought the food. And it wasn't until they went to pay their check that one of the girls put down a Chase debit card with a Chicago backdrop. And seeing that it was a Chicago backdrop, I, you know, at this point, I I hadn't really spoken to them at all beyond, you know, can I get you anything to eat? (laughs) And I struck up a conversation with this girl. And we, you know, we found out, of course, that she's from Chicago, that my family's in Chicago. And we sort of had this, you know, this great conversation. And she had asked me at that time what I was doing. And I told her that I'm new to the city and I'm looking for work. And she told me, that I should send her my resume and that I should consider applying for a job at Havas Media, which is one of the largest um, ad agencies here in New York. And I really did not want to, (laughs) I guess is the way to say it. I didn't want to go into advertising. I really, you know, I really wanted to still be a writer and an editor, but it just wasn't happening. And, you know, this was at a time and and this was at a time when, bloggers were sort of, you know, upending the world of journalism and and journalists were starting to, you know, were sort of questioning where they stand in this world when you see, you know, news networks like CNN all of a sudden using bloggers as sources. And so I sent my resume in and I, you know, I was sick and tired of serving tables and I figured that this would be better, you know, way better to do than serving tables. And I, kind of went into advertising thinking that it would just sort of be a way to pass the time while I'm looking for the career and for job opportunities that I really am passionate about. And it actually ended up being more than four years. Yeah, I feel like advertising is a really seductive industry in some ways. You know, you're surrounded by lots of creative, smart people, and the money is also pretty wonderful. So while you were there, how were you squeezing in your writing? Because you obviously had a day job. So were you writing kind of in the evenings, on weekends? How are you fitting in? At the beginning of my career, it was very much a scenic route. You know, I went from advertising to marketing, back to advertising. I was sort of trying on different, um, you know, different job titles, like hats in a way. And somewhere along the line, I felt I had strayed really far from my passion for writing and, and strayed far from the goal of becoming a journalist in New York 
And I remember I was working at a company and sitting in my cubicle and I came across a travel blog and the travel blog, uh, which still exists today is called World of Wanderlust by Brooke Sayward. And uh, this travel blog, it just really sort of shook me to my core because this here was a girl that was my age that didn't come from money and that had managed to not only pursue her passion, but to live off of it. And here I was sitting in a cubicle in a career that I was not passionate about, having strayed so far from what I had come to New York to do. So I started travel blogging at the time, and I started a blog called The Pin the Map Project, and that was really how I continued to write and to sort of, you know, hone in on what I wanted to do with my life in between meetings and and all of these, you know, responsibilities that I had for advertising. So you were finding your way in your career, but at the same time, you were feeling kind of lost in your love life. You had a wedding that was fast approaching. If you don't mind sharing, what was going on with you and your fiance at this point? <laughs> we were just so young. We had met when we were both in college. He was, we were both going into our senior year of college and we had met in New York because we were both interning in New York City at the time. And, you know, he actually was living in uh, France at the time and I was going to school in Indiana University and we had met in the sort of whirlwind summer romance, you know, like cue the montage of <laughs> every cute little date scene here in the city. And at the end of the summer, we made the incredibly large commitment to try to stay together. And this was very hard to do given the distance. And, and that's actually why I ended up going to France after college, because he had had a semester uh, left when I had graduated. I graduated in December of 2010 and I went to France to be with him while he finished out his college career. And I then moved to New York and he followed me. He had gotten a job here in New York and we we started living together really early on because that's what happens in a city like New York with expensive rent. You know, you just sort of fast track your life before you may be emotionally ready and so we just sort of got to this point where we had sort of been playing house, you know, and, and and all of a sudden we were on this track to get married and it just, you know, nothing about it was was really a fit. And it was sort of, you know, at this point in time, I was not happy because I wasn't in the right career. My relationship was not right. And sort of everything was sort of, you know, the wheels were coming off at this point in time. Yeah, I feel like it's said that cold feet are natural part of the lead up to a wedding. But I suspect that people actually tend to conflate the kind of cold feet that's related to the very theatrical, exorbitantly expensive production that is a wedding and the kind that's actually related to the very real doubts about whether this is really a person that you want to commit to for the rest of your life. Were you able to identify the roots of your cold feet at this point? All I knew was that I wasn't happy and nothing really felt exciting about getting married. And I, you know, I, I did wonder if it was cold feet and I sort of kept waiting for that moment to come where I could, you know, get giddy about the wedding day and, and you know, I'd be, I'd be in the fitting room trying my wedding dress on and I would just feel so sad and it just didn't seem right, you know, and, and, and compounded with this. 
the only glimmer of happiness that I had at this point in time was my travel writing and my travel blog. And I was really throwing myself into it. And, and I wanted to see where it would take me. And this was a big point of contention because all of a sudden I'm now able to travel and go on press trips and I'm being sent on assignments. And now tension is building at work because my attention's being pulled elsewhere. Tension is building at home because all of a sudden I'm more happy and excited to go see the world than I am to plan a wedding. So everything was very just stressed at this point in time. And it definitely wasn't cold feet. It just felt like there was a change larger than myself looming on the horizon. And you got an opportunity to go to Buenos Aires, Argentina. What was the trip? What was the plan for when you got there? Buenos Aires was one of my first assignments and it was to go to Palermo. So Palermo is this very cool neighborhood of the city that you can almost liken to like a Soho here in New York. And the dream assignment was I just had to write about cafes in Palermo, just new and up and coming cafes. And this assignment, I accepted it uh, about a month before my wedding, maybe a little less. And uh, people were not happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they were not happy. But I really, again, you know, travel writing gave me joy and I was in desperate need of joy. And, And more than that, I just felt like I couldn't breathe in my life here. And I just, I needed to get away. I needed to run away. And so this assignment came at a very opportune time because it allowed me to do that. Yeah. This was also your first solo trip and you were 24. Yeah. So I remember spending a single day alone in Sydney, Australia when I was 19, and it was completely intimidating. (laughs) I don't even know what I did. I think I went to a movie theater. I wandered around the city, but it just felt very unnatural to me at that time. Were you anxious at all or did the aloneness feel comfortable to you? Oh my God. I was so scared. I remember being on the plane at JFK and it was a fairly empty flight. It was like a late flight to, you know, to Buenos Aires. And I remember sitting there and like tears in my eyes as the, like the plane's engine was welling up, just, you know, just thinking to myself, oh my God, what am I doing? And I was, you know, it was, there's something very jarring and also humbling to arrive in a country and realize that not a single living soul in this entire country knows or cares about who you are. And that is so scary. You know, and so when I arrived in Buenos Aires, it was it was almost like it was almost like a like a like a game. It's like I got there and I was like, okay, like, you know, move one is like I have to get from the airport to my hostel. Move two, I have to exchange money. And keep in mind it's like exchanging money in Buenos Aires, like that's not an easy thing because I had to do like weird, shady exchanging of money on the black market. It was a whole thing, (laughs) you know? So it's like all these steps. So I just, you know, this trip, what I remember the most is really just learning to be kind to myself and learning to sort of embrace every feeling that came up and, and take it for what it was. And I had to learn how to comfort myself and I had to learn how to, you know, to deal with my anxieties on my own. And I had to learn how to push myself out of bed if I woke up and I felt sad and scared. And and so there was a real power in realizing that if I, if I let myself, I can be that person for myself. Don't you think there's also a flip side to this idea that, you know, nobody knows you, nobody cares when you're solo because I know in our everyday lives, there's just so much noise. There's so many expectations and so many obligations. So, you know, traveling and particularly solo traveling allows us to kind of just drop all of that and to be anonymous and kind of to 
I don't know how to put this, but like rewrite the, the our own character in our lives, the character of us. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, solo traveling, the most important part of it for me is perspective. And to your point, you know, to your point, when you eliminate that noise and you take yourself out of your comfort zone and it's just you, you get this sort of amazing silence where you can see things in a new light and in an uninterrupted way. And for me at this time, this trip, you know, think about all the noise that I had back in New York, with the career and the wedding and everything that was going on for me to take myself and put myself at the far end of another continent, you know, it, it allowed me to gain perspective on what was going on back home in a way that I truly don't think I ever would have been able to do had I not had the, the, you know, the chutzpah to leave New York. I know that you were nervous coming into the country, but did you also have like a sense of relief and a sense of a weight being lifted? Absolutely. I mean, for as nervous as I was, I was honestly more nervous to stay put in New York and not do something. And so this felt like a lifeline. For somebody who's never been, can you paint us a picture of Buenos Aires and what makes it so special? Oh my God. I mean, Buenos Aires is absolutely stunning. You know, for me, it was just everything, the culture, the people, the music, the food, everything about it is beautiful and historical. And there's just so much passion. It just, it completely exudes passion. And I loved it so much, you know, for that. But what really, you know, was transformative for me when I was there was I did an impromptu trip to Iguazu, which is a waterfalls on the corner of between Argentina and Brazil. That's right. right. I have some some fun facts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there are 275 individual cascades. It's a national park. Yes, it is a national park. And it's taller and twice as wide as Niagara Falls. So yeah. It sounds very intense. And it is stunning. I mean, it is, the waterfalls are just so gorgeous. And so, yeah, I, I went to Iguazu and I arrived there. I, I remember I didn't even check out of my hostel. I actually, I left my stuff at the hostel, packed a backpack, flew to Iguazu on a domestic flight, arrived there at night. You know, I took a bus to a hostel. They were waiting up for me, which was so nice. It was the first and only time that when I've stayed in a hostel, I've stayed in one of those rooms where it's like 16 people in bunk beds. Oh, yeah. Which was terrible. Such a weirdly intimate experience. Oh, my God. So (laughs) weird. But, I, you know, I just figured it doesn't matter. It's just one night. The next morning I woke up early and I took a bus to the National Park. And I got there, you know, got my ticket and then just proceeded to get lost, to just sort of roam around the National Park, walk along the different trailheads, see the waterfalls. And this part of my solo trip is, I think, the most defining for me because it was during this particular experience that I really sort of confronted head on what I Mm. want to do about my life back home and really asked myself out loud, quite literally out loud, do I want to get married? And it was a reverberating no that basically like shook the trees. And, and I was by myself, you know, and, and I just was talking to myself like a friend about like all these things I had been bottling up. And that is what ultimately gave me the strength to change what I needed to change. So when you were heading home, knowing that you were about to face the music and flip your life upside down. <laughs> yeah. Did you feel, how did you feel then? Were you very nervous or were you quite resolved? 
I was pretty resolved. I have to say, I, um, I knew it was going to be bad. I, I knew it was going to be really bad. I mean, you know, at this point, the wedding was called off two weeks prior to the wedding. So money has been put down. Guests have RSVP'd. You know, I just, I knew it was going to be like a bomb going off for my family, for our friends, for him, for his family. And it was, and it was as hard as I thought it would be. But I also knew that it was important to do this. And and just something felt very disingenuine about standing up in front of everyone I've ever met and everyone he's ever met and promising to love each other when I knew that we wouldn't last and that, you know, had we gone through with it, we probably would have gotten divorced six months later. I just, I don't know. I didn't want my wedding to be that. Yeah, I think Often the most painful moments of life are where we're sort of in limbo, where we can't quite decide what it is that we want or how to move forward. So, but despite knowing that it was the right move for you, so much changing so fast in your life must have been pretty traumatic. So how did you go about finding your feet after you returned back to New York? You know, I, um, it was really hard because, you know, when I called off the wedding, I lost a lot in terms of friends um, in terms of family, sort of, you know, not talking to me for months, almost a year. And even though I was the one that called it off and I was the one ultimately that walked away from this relationship, I still lost my best friend and I lost the home that we had built together. So, you know, everything that I had built, you know, it's, it's almost amazing how you can just dismantle a life so quickly, you know, and, and I don't know, it, it it took a while. You know, I I remember that my impulse was to run again. You know, my impulse at this point was I had applied for graduate school in London and gotten in. So I was, you know, going to go to London and do that. And, and then I decided against it. And, you know, I just, I was very sort of erratic at this time and point, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, you know, Argentina had taken me so far and then I was sort of back in this confusion so just one day at a time, you know, things like little by little as like more time passed after the wedding and the dust settled, I started to get my footing. Yeah, I feel like we've discussed before this tendency that you and I both have <laughs> to want to hop on a flight when life gets tough. Yes. And it's a theme that's actually come up many times in this podcast. Why do you think travel is so effective at clarifying things when we're struggling to find the path forward? I think it's just that perspective again, you know, just recently I was in Guatemala and just being able to step outside of your comfort zone and step outside of your own life and your own worries and see how other people live and see what they deal with on a daily basis just has a really big power, particularly, you know, for me personally, it has a power to just really reframe things back home. And so it doesn't surprise me that people turn to travel to find escape to reprioritize what's going on and to find perspective, you know, and it's a luxury and that is what it is. I think that's something that, you know, needs to be reminded that travel is a luxury not afforded to everyone. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an international trip. But I remember recently you were having a rough moment and you went upstate, you took the train upstate yes. to Cold Spring for the yes. day. Yes. <laughs> and that's and that's exactly, you know, the point is that, you know, there's this idea that to travel means to have a passport stamp, means to go somewhere very far flung. And 
and that's not the case. And and I think what we're starting to see now in the industry as a whole is that, you know, particularly in the wake of this no fly movement and sort of seeing like just how, um, you know, what a negative impact the travel industry, particularly carbon emissions from airplanes can have on the environment, you're starting to see people redefine what it means to travel. And so the beauty of this is that it makes it much more accessible because traveling internationally is a luxury and it's it's an expensive one at that. So being able to find perspective, being able to step outside of your comfort zone, whether it's a weekend getaway upstate or a road trip or whatever it is, you know, you can still get these benefits. And so that's also something that I've been exploring too in my own life. Just, you know, an hour or two away from New York upstate is a completely different world. It's a completely different culture. And that still allows me to get those benefits of travel. What about in terms of solo travel? For people who are curious about going somewhere completely on their own, do you have any tips for them? (sighs) I mean, my ultimate tip is, you know, listen to your intuition. That's the number one. I remember when I was in Buenos Aires, just being able to understand when something didn't feel safe, when a certain person didn't feel right, when, you know, when a certain street felt ominous. And and even it, you know, some might, you know, some might say, oh, that's just being paranoid, but I don't care. You know, when you're solo traveling, you're protecting yourself. Like you are your most precious, you know, I guess baggage <laughs> to say when you're traveling. So it's at the end of the day, it's like you just want to protect yourself and your feelings and your safety and your body and everything. And so listening to that intuition is just so important. And to this day, I still carry that. I'm very, especially as I get older, I'm very sort of protective of my space and my time and my body and my feelings. And and as I get older, the idea of saying no isn't as scary anymore. You know, yeah. I love that analogy. It felt very symbolic. Yeah. You are your own baggage. Exactly. (laughs) To figure yourself out. Yeah. Um, And in terms of getting, having those perspective shifting trips that provide clarity, do you think there's a certain type of trip that's better for that? Is city travel better than beach travel or going up in the mountains or what what would you prefer? Honestly, it's whatever you're looking for. You know, for me, I love roaming in cities. I love solo traveling in cities. I just, I don't know. I I love the feeling of sort of being lost in a city. And even though you're alone, you don't really feel alone because you're surrounded by all these people and you could go to cafes, you can go to restaurants and you can meet travelers. And I remember I was solo traveling in Paris of all places. And I went to Cafe de Flore and I just sat outside and I ordered myself a cappuccino. I got myself a croissant and I had my journal and cut to 45 minutes later. And I now have four or five people sitting at my table talking to me about their careers and this and that. And it's just one of those amazing sort of happenstance things where you just sit there and people just come, you know, and, and so that's sort of the beauty of cities. And I think that, you know, if you're looking to connect with people, solo traveling in cities is the way to go. But there's also something to be said about just completely disconnecting from people, you know, and, and solo traveling in places where you, where you can just be actually alone with your thoughts. And for that, you know, going to some place like a retreat or to the beach or mountains or woods, it's that, that will serve that purpose too. So it really just depends on what you are looking for as a solo traveler. For me, I've always, you know, solo traveling has always 
been this thing that I reach for when I'm in a tough place in my life. And so it's always this life raft that I have that I, you know, I, I pull out and I inflate and I cling to whenever my life is basically going to shit. And, uh, but for some people it's not, you know, so for some people, solo travel, isn't this, you know, you know, pulling. Yeah. It's not this pool in case of emergency Mm -hmm. thing for them. It's just, I need to step away and disconnect. And, and so for, in that instance, you know, that's a very different type of solo travel. That's not as like emotionally, you know, like you're pulling out your emotions, like one by one and like sifting through it. You're just out enjoying yourself. So it really varies. How often do you, when you go away, try and completely disconnect and get off the internet? <laughs> it is not nearly enough is the answer. Uh, last year, almost to the day, I went to Iceland and I challenged myself to completely disconnect. And it was harder than I thought it would be. I uh, went on a road trip and traveled all around and it was very uh, hard the first two days not to, you know, to fight this impulse to Instagram everything I was seeing and put it on Instagram stories and put it on Facebook. And then after about two days, there was just this amazing feeling of I don't care what anybody else is doing right now with their time and they don't need to know what I'm doing with mine. And there was something so freeing in that, you know, to wake up and not have the standard, oh my God, look at how cool it is. She's there traveling and here I am here in Iceland. Because <laughs> I'll have that. Like I'll be traveling. I, when I was in Guatemala, I would open my phone and then I would be in Guatemala and, I, and I'd be loving the trip. But then I would open my phone and see that, you know, Jane Doe is out in, you know, Myanmar. And I'm like, oh God. I'm not in me and my, you know, so it's like this constant comparing of what someone else is doing compared to what we're doing at the moment is so unhealthy. So for this Iceland trip, it was so freeing to do that. And I want to do it more. And, and quite honestly, it's something I struggle with, you know, because I've sort of built this name for myself in this industry that was, that's very much defined by social presence. It's very hard to disconnect, but I strive to do it. So looking back now, how do you feel that this trip to Argentina changed your life? Well, right off the bat, I, you know, I didn't get married. So that changed my, the course of my romantic life and freed me up to, to eventually meet someone uh, that really is a fit for me. And, and, you know, that we share similar passions and share similar goals. And, and, and I'm happy to say I'm with this person today, you know, but career wise, it, it just set me on course to pursue what I want to pursue. You know, after Argentina, I not only did I call off my wedding, but I also went about extracting myself from the world of advertising. And it wasn't as swift of a cut as calling off the wedding was. It took obviously longer to, you know, extract myself from that career, but I decided that I wanted travel writing and to pursue editorial again. I wanted this to be my goal. And since then, that's what it's been. You know, since then I, you know, I managed to break into the editorial space. I managed to become travel editor. I managed to launch a publication in the travel space. And I really, you know, looking back, there are many trips throughout my life that have sort of set me on my path and and sort of helped me sort of course correct my life. But to me, it really all begins with Argentina because that was the point. And it's very scary to do this, you know, but that was sort of the point where I was, you know, almost mid twenties 
and my life was going down a certain path and everything was not what I wanted. I was just sort of letting myself be pushed there. And it, you know, looking back, it took a lot of tenacity to stand up in the middle of all of that and be like, I refuse to take another step forward. This is my life. It's not yours. You know, and to point at my family and say that and to point at this guy I'm engaged to and say that and to point at, you know, my boss and say that and to say these things metaphorically, of course, but but to make that decision. And so I think Argentina just irrevocably changed the course of my life because it ultimately allowed me to pursue what I want to do with my life and and to have a life that looks like me as imperfect as it may be. It's my life. Damn, Nikki. What a whirlwind <laughs> of a story. <laughs> yes. I felt all the feels. All the feels. Before you go, I have a couple of quick fire travel related questions for you. Mm-hmm. First of all, this is the one I ask everybody. What is the one thing you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? Oh, man. Solo travel. <laughs> I really do. I know that's like cheesy because we've just been talking about it ad nauseum, but absolutely solo travel. If for no other reason than to just spend time with yourself, get to know yourself intimately. That's not inappropriate. <laughs> 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 Where were you from in in a past life? In a past life, I'll tell you, I don't know if I was actually from here in a past life, but I would love to imagine that in a past life, I lived in 1920s Paris and that I was maybe hanging out in like the salon of Gertrude Stein and like showing her like my writing and she was like, this sucks. <laughs> and I was like, China. that's cool. And then I was like, I don't know, like renting books from Shakespeare and Co. And I was like broke and penniless and walking along the Seine and like walking through the, you know, the Garden of the Luxembourg because I couldn't afford food and I didn't want to smell all the food. That's what Hemingway used to do. He would go on walks through the Luxembourg Gardens because really? he couldn't afford food and anytime he would walk by the cafes, it would just like be a reminder of that. So he would he would choose intentional routes around Paris where he wouldn't have to walk past the cafes and the bars. And that's what he would do. He would just go from, you know, Shakespeare and Company, the original one, and just cut through the gardens to go home. So I would like to think that that would be where I lived. I see it. I see it. Favorite city and why? Cartagena, Colombia. Beautiful. It's a seaside city on the coast and it's just so colorful and it's so romantic and so passionate and the food's amazing and it's and it's affordable. There's just so many pros to it and it's safe. You know, so absolutely. I love Cartagena. I've been more times than I can count. Do you have a non-touristy favorite thing to do in Cartagena? In Cartagena, yes. So uh, there's an there's a island or islands off the coast of Cartagena called the Isla de Rosario. And there's one island in particular called Isla Baru. And so all tourists know to go to Playa Blanca when mm-hmm. they're in Cartagena. You take this day trip and they put you on, you know, a boat that you get there by noon and you have some mandatory, you know, like snorkeling or lunch situation. And then you sit on the beach for like four hours and marinate and then you go back to Cartagena and you pay like an arm and a leg for it. So this is what the usual package is for tourists. But what a lot of tourists don't know is that there's actually some very charming bed and breakfasts on this island. And that, first of all, you can reach the island, not just by boat. You can actually drive to Isla Baru because a couple years ago, they built a land bridge to the island. So if you happen to get seasick, there is a car alternative. (laughs) But there's a lot of charming places to stay. And there's one in particular, Playa Mangladis, is where I stayed. And the beauty of this is that before noon... 
Playa Blanca is empty. There's not a single tourist. So all the banana boats and the discarded beer bottles and all the hawkers are not there. It's just this beautiful, pristine, just beach, you know, in in the Caribbean that you can just sort of have to yourself. And if you stay on the island, that's the best kept secret. Avoid at all costs the day trip. Nikki, these are the longest quick fire questions ever, but that's fine. This is oh, this is all oh I guess great. I missed the quick fire part. <laughs> I thought you said slow burn. (laughs) Listen, this is perfect. This is the juicy stuff we're looking for. I already know the answer to the next one, but for the listeners, window seat or aisle? (laughs) This one I'll do quick fire. Uh, Aisle. It's because she likes to drink a lot of water and needs to pee off. (laughs) And I get very stressed by being next to the window and having somebody next to me that I have to constantly wake up to go to the bathroom. It's It's so stressful. What's the one thing you never travel without? Compression socks. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I know, super sexy. <laughs> Hotel or Airbnb? Ah, depends on the destination. Would you like me to yes, elaborate? Yes, I'd like to. <laughs> you expand on that, please. Um, yeah, if, you know, if I'm in a city, I... You know, like in Paris, for example, I love to sometimes do hotels. Like it's there's something very like indulgent about sometimes treating yourself to a hotel and the fluffy robes and all that jazz. Um, but also Airbnb in certain destinations is really lovely too. And it's great to sort of feel like a local. So for me, it depends entirely on the trip and the destination, you know. Top tip for travel deals. Travel deals. Uh, I love using the app Hopper. So Hopper is amazing. Uh, basically, you just set a alert for flights and it'll just let you know exactly when is the time to book. It's perfect. Use Hopper. Where is next on your travel hit list? Oh, I really want to go to South Africa. And I'm, Same. yeah, I'm feeling a pull towards South Africa. So I actually have uh, some good friends who live in Johannesburg and Cape Town And it just sort of keeps coming up that like people I know are moving there, they're going there. So just it's sort of this like reoccurring theme. So I'm sort of like, okay, universe, I get the hint. So I really want to go to South Africa. I'll go with you. Yes. Safari. My friends in Johannesburg, apparently they have a complete guest house and they live like right next to a lion safari park, apparently. So should do that. Ideal. Yeah. Nikki, where can listeners find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Nick Vargas, very creative, uh, or on Twitter at Miss Nikki Vargas. Thank you so much for being an excellent and delightful guest. Thank you so much for being an excellent and delightful host. It's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki is currently working on a book, The Unearthed Women's Guide to Travel, How to Travel Mindfully as a Woman and a Feminist, is being published by Clarkson Potter, a Penguin Random House imprint. It's full of anecdotes and tips from influencers and journalists. Spoiler alert, I am one of them. So keep an eye out for that in 2021. One more thing before you go about your day. Full-Time Travel recently added an amazing travel advisor to our team, and I want to take a minute here to shout her out because booking through an advisor is such a travel hack, it's crazy more people don't know about it. Her name is Chelsea Martin. She's an affiliate of Embark and Virtuoso, and she's also a travel influencer in her own right. You can find her on Instagram at Passport to Friday. 
Chelsea has amazing relationships with hotels, tour operators, and locals all over the world. And not only will she sort the logistics and take all the stressful planning off your hands, she also scores insane perks at no extra cost to you. Think room upgrades, free cocktails, spa discounts, and late checkouts to name just a few. So whether you want to book an extravagant honeymoon or just want to secure the best hotel for your budget, Chelsea has you covered. Just drop her an email at chelsea at fttadvisor.com. That's chelsea at fttadvisor.com and start planning your dream trip with VIP perks today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. I'll be back in two weeks time to share more inspiring travel stories. And in the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and subscribe so we can keep this adventure going. 